0: The old, uh, the old professor of Old Testament theology at Princeton Theological Seminary, Robert Wilson, he would often do something when his students who had then graduated from seminary and would come back to, to school to, to speak in chapel. And they would come and they would speak in, in, in chapel. And um, uh, Dr., uh, Dr. Wilson, he would show up to the chapel ceremony just or the chapel service just just one time to hear his former students who were back to preach. And as he would sit there, he would listen, and he would hear what his students, his former students, were preaching. It had been years since they'd come back. And this particular occasion, uh, the great preacher, uh, Dr. Barnhouse, had, had come back after he had graduated, and there was preaching at chapel at Princeton Theological Seminary. And then when he was done, he exited off of the stage, and after things were over, The former professor, Robert Wilson, which I would be pretty intimidated if I was speaking in front of my former professor, he met him at the end of the stage, and he said, well, as I do, and as is my custom uh, barnhouse, Dr. Barnhouse, um, I come and I hear my students preach, and I only come to hear them one time because I only need to hear them one time. And when I hear, I listen, and I look to find out if they are a big godder or a little godder. You see, those... uh, Preachers who have a big godder, it's pretty evident because they walk and they understand and they live out a big god theology. They understand a god who he speaks and it happens. He articulates something and God moves. He walks into situations and when God is present, he shows up and he changes things. And people who understand a big god, they're big godders and they operate that way. But those who have a little god, they're little godders their god only has so much power and only so much ability and can only do so much things in the world and in and around them and they preach in that way and he said today i am glad to be able to tell you that you are a big godder you're a big godder we want to be a church we want to be a people i want you today i want every single person here every single person that calls the bridge church home to be a big godder to know a god and to walk in a way and live in such a way where you've got a big God. And I'm just curious, like, if we were to look at our lives over this past week, would anything from this past week in your life demonstrate that you've got a big God at all? You know, we want to live, and we want to walk, and we want to operate in such a way that we have a big God. And it doesn't mean we don't have fears. It doesn't mean we don't have challenges. It doesn't mean we don't have struggles and storms that we go through, but it means that in all that we face and all that we go through, we still hold on to a big God because we have a big God theology and a God that can move and shake up things. He can show up in spaces. Can I get a witness this morning? He, he can show up in spaces. He can show up in circumstances. He can show up in situations. And when God shows up, he can do anything. He can do anything. You know, we started the series talking about a syndrome that I have oftentimes and that you have sometimes called SGS it's small God syndrome you know we we, we often tend to operate and to think and to live in such a way but that God he's just kind of like a slightly bigger version slightly smarter version, sm- slightly better version of us right but that's not the God that we see when we look in the Bible we, we see a God that is uncontrollable a God that is unfathomable a God that is unimaginable a God that can do anything and everything. I love the way that Jen Wilkin puts it in her book, None Like Him. She, she says this, when we lose sight of the majesty of God, we invariably fill the gap in our vision with something else. And we want to have a, a vision of God and an understanding of God and a belief of God that we see God and know him for his majesty and for who he is. And when he shows up, man, he, he moves. And so my heart for you today is I'm going to preach my guts out and do my best as we end this series all trying to help us understand and believe and see a God that is big, a God that is huge, a God that is immeasurable. So today I'm going to end, and the title for today is God is Sovereign. Somebody tell your neighbor, Sovereign. God is sovereign. He's sovereign. Here we go Psalm 135. Psalm 135, and we're going to begin in verse 5. It says this. And as is my custom, I'm going to do one verse and stop. You're welcome. Psalm 135, beginning in verse 5, it says this. For I know that the Lord is great. <clears throat> He's great. I know that the Lord is great and that our Lord is above all gods. He's above them all. There isn't anybody else above him. He is at the top. For I know that the Lord is great and that our God, our Lord, is above all gods. Every other God. There isn't anybody else. There isn't anybody that is even comparable to him. He is the only God in his place. Here's here's how I'll say it this way. God is unapologetically above every other God. He just is. He can't help himself. He is above every other God. I love the way that the lyrics of What a Beautiful Name says, you have no rival, you have no equal. There isn't even a rival. It's not even a contest. It's not even a fair game. There isn't anybody that even comes close. There isn't a god that even comes close to contest who God is. Which means He is at the top. He is the God. Now, we live in a culture in which, Ethan, that's not very, um, that's not very nice to say, Ethan. That you know we. Other religions, other gods, other ideologies, other perspectives, other philosophies, how could you say, how could you have the audacity to say that your God, that you actually know the truth and that your God is above all gods? How could you believe that there is only one God? How could you say that there is only one way uh, to God? I've, I've heard it phrased this way. It's arrogant to think that your religion is the right and only true way to God. See, every religion sees part of spiritual truth, but none can see the whole truth. Uh, you may have heard me say this in, in, in the past, but um, this, this is a very common idea in our culture. And I feel like I have to address it because the psalmist says that he is above all other gods. And that isn't very um, uh, kosher, something that's not very kosher to say in our culture. But one of the popular ways that, that people point out this thought and this ideology, it's the illustration, you've heard me tell it before, of the three b- blind men and the elephant. The three blind men and the elephant. You've heard it before. It it goes like this. Imagine there was a group of blind men who stumbled upon um, an elephant. Well, and the blind men, they stumble upon the elephant and um, they all grab hold of it. And everyone begins to articulate and describe what the elephant is like. Well, the first blind man, he grabs a hold of the elephant's trunk and he says, oh, elephants are they're long and flexible creatures. Well, <clears throat> another blind man grabs hold of his leg and says, no, 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 they're not. This, elephants aren't long and flexible. They're actually short and thick and stiff creatures. They're not long and flexible at all. Another blind man grabs a hold of the side of the elephant, and, and he says, no, 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 you're, you're not right. Elephants, they're huge, and they're they're flat, and they're flat creatures. They're, they're not anything like that. Well, what we realize is that um, Each of the blind men is right, and each of them is wrong. They all have part of the reality of the elephant. They grasp part of it, but because they're blind, none of them can actually see the whole picture. Therefore, none of them should say they completely understand the elephant. They all see part of the reality. Nobody gets the whole reality. They're all partly right, and they're all partly wrong. And so the illustration then concludes Religions are essentially the same. All religions see part of the spiritual truth. Nobody can see the whole thing. Therefore, no one should insist they have the entire truth. Well, Leslie Newbegin, who was the uh, famous British missionary who went to India and for years and years and years, faced this argument and didn't know what to say in response to it. People would say this all the time. He ended up writing a book, The Gospel, in a pluralist, plural, Pluralistic Society. Well, over the years, um, this illustration was thrown over and over at him. Again, they would say, well, how can you say that your God is the right God? I mean, no one can actually see the whole. Nobody sees the whole. All religions are essentially like the blind men. Well, one day he was listening to this, and suddenly, like it hit him. Like a light bulb came on as he was um, listening to this. It, It hit him. The only way that you could know that none of the blind men had a grip on the entire reality of the elephant was if you could see the whole elephant. The only way you could tell the story of the blind men and the elephant is if you were the one who actually saw the whole elephant, if you were the narrator of the story. That means he suddenly realized the only way you could possibly know that every religion only sees part of the truth is if you assume you see the whole truth. But If you assume that you have the whole truth, that's the very thing you say no one has. And when you say no one has a superior take on spiritual reality, that is itself a take on spiritual reality, which you say is superior to everyone else's. There's no way that you can know that all religions are equal unless you assume the kind of knowledge you say no one has. See, which means the goal... The, the goal should not be to act like every religion is essentially the same or pointing in the same direction. That's actually more arrogant. What is, the goal is, the real goal should be to ask which truth claims seem to best reveal and point to the way the universe actually operates. See, it's not helpful for us to tell any religion to couch their own truth claims. And when it comes to Christianity, our truth claim in Christianity is that we believe in one God, One God, one true God who is the maker and the creator of the universe. And God clearly teaches that he is the one true God, that he is above all other gods. And for God to claim anything less would actually be unjust and dishonest of him. See, we believe in a a God who is above all of the gods. And in Christianity and from the scriptures, what we see and what we teach is that he's, he's above all. There's anybody else that is a rival to him? There isn't even a contest. Whenever you face God, He is altogether in His own category. And the psalmist would go on and say this in verse six: Whatever, everybody say whatever, but don't do it in like the middle middle school way. You know, like just whatever the Lord pleases. Whatever, whatever, whatever the Lord pleases. Idea means anything. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does. In heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps, he it is who makes the clouds rise at the end of the earth, who makes lightnings for rain and brings forth a wind from his storehouses. That's all the work of God's hands. He's amazing. Verse 8. He it was who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, talking all the way back to the book of Exodus, both of man and of beast, who in your midst, O Egypt, sent signs and wonders against Pharaoh and all his servants. Who struck down many nations and killed mighty kings, this God, even Sion, king of the Amorites, and Og, king of Bashan, and all the kingdoms of Canaan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage heritage to his people. I love what he says here. Everything God does is a direct result of his good pleasure. He does everything that he pleases. I want you to think about God this way. God pleases to do things. God is a God that has desires. Our God is pleased by things in the universe and things that he does. And God always operates in such a way in that he does things that please him. Which the psalmist would say, whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Clouds, lightning, rain, wind. If he pleases, bam, he does it. Not only the nature, but also humankind with Egypt and Pharaoh and the redemption of his people, which means redemption and salvation and deliverance. It's all a result of his pleasure, of what he pleases to do, of what he wants to do. He does whatever he pleases. psalmist would say this as well in Psalm 115.3. Our God is in the heavens. He does all that he pleases. He does all that he pleases. This ability is 100% Unique to God. Do you get to do everything that you please, that you desire, that you would want to do? I don't. <laughs> things that I want to do, things that I wish I could do, and if I could really uh, get in the gym this week, and I didn't get in the gym, but I really wanted to get in the gym. If I could get in the gym, then then I, that's what I would wish I could do, but I can't do it. I don't actually have the ability and the power and the motivation to actually get myself in the gym. You ever been there before? Like, um <laughs> I, I, I wish that I had to deliver. I wish that I had the ability to deliver on the things that I pleased. Do you know that God always delivers on every single thing that he pleases? Every time. God's never been in a situation in the history of the universe in which he wanted to do something, and he was like, I just, I'm out of resources. I'm, uh, I need to call the bank. God's never had to call the bank. He's never had to check his bank account. Hey, honey, how much money is in the bank account today? <laughs> Did we get paid yet? Did it hit yet? Is it in there yet? Um, Anybody else have that conversation? Um, He's never been in a situation. He's never been in a situation where we didn't have the ability to to do what he pleased. God has always 100% of the time done everything and anything that he has wanted to do. No one else has this capability, only God. This is what it means for God to be sovereign. Sovereign is a big Bible Christian word. It's even used in other uh cultures as well but it's a big bible word it's a big theological word it's a big christian word for god is sovereign he just does whatever he pleases he can do whatever he wants here i'll put it this way for you i heard this i heard i got this quote i heard that there was a, a young girl one day in sunday school and her sunday school teacher asked what it meant for god to be sovereign and this is what she said god does whatever he wants whenever he wants however he wants with whomever he wants that's what god does God just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants, with whomever he wants. That's what God does. That's how God operates. God just does it. He's like, when he wants to do something, he does it. With whoever he wants to do something with, he, he does it. However he wants to do it, he does it that way. That's what, God mean, that's what it means for God to be sovereign. It's his absolute right to do all things according to his good pleasure. And think about this with me. God has never been forced or constrained to do anything he didn't want to do. God has never been backed into a corner. God has never wanted to do something and lacked the ability to do it. God has never been frustrated because he was at a loss and didn't know what to do in a situation. God has always been sovereign. Let me tell you a few ways in which God has been sovereign. God, first, is sovereign in ownership. God is sovereign in ownership. Psalm 24.1 says it this way, the earth is the Lord's, the earth belongs to God 100% and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein, just in case if you needed me to clarify what I meant by the earth, everything, anything and everything, it belongs to God 100%. Abraham Kuyper, the old theologian, he wrote it this way. I love the way that he says this. There is not one square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's the way that God operates. Every single square inch in every place and every corner and every crack and every crevice in the universe belongs to God. It belongs to him. He is the sovereign owner of the universe. Now, let me just do a short little pastoral application here. If God owns everything in the universe, then guess what you have, who that belongs to? God. But Ethan, I worked hard for this. Ethan, I went to school for this. Oh, really? Okay, well, help me then. Uh, where did you get your existence? Oh, God. Yeah, okay, God. Um, where did you get your intellect? Okay, God. Where did you get your drive and your work ethic? Okay, God. Yeah. Everything that you are and everything that you possess ultimately belongs to God. This is, this is, this is why we're generous with our resources. Right? You show me someone that's generous with their resources and gives to others, and gives to the mission of God. And I'll show you someone that understands who the owner of all this is. We're not called to be owners of the things that we possess. We're just merely stewards of what God already has. Every resource in the world, it belongs to God, and we're stewards of that resource. Just out of curiosity today, how are you doing as a steward of God's resources? How are you doing as a steward of God's resources? He's sovereign over all. Which means you give, and we never like guilt people into give at the bridge because I think that's a bad idea, like because it doesn't last long, anyways. We we, we rather would, would would choose to do gospel-centered giving, which means we don't need your money at the at the end of the day. Genuinely, we're paying all our, our bills. We're paying all of our staff. Fortunately, by God's grace, we, this isn't a to get your money. This is we talk about money not because of what we want from you, but because of what we want for you. It's for your own good. You don't even have to give it here. You can give it somewhere else if you've got an issue giving it here. Just be generous. Just, just give. You're a steward of God's creation. You're a steward of what God has given you. And therefore, use it as God would have you to use it. Use what God has given you for his kingdom and for his glory. Uh, little secret here your kingdom is not going to last forever. Whatever you invest in your kingdom, your kingdom isn't bad, so to speak. Little k kingdom. What do you invest in your, your kingdom? It's all going to go away. Whatever you invest in God's kingdom and Jesus' kingdom, it's going to be eternal. Amen. You know? So therefore, we give. We, we give. We give generously. We give. My wife and I, we, I mean, it's like what we give. I, I think it's like one of the largest percentages of, of everything that we do in our family. We just give. We give generously because we're stewards of God's resources and God's creation. So firstly, God is sovereign over in ownership. He owns everything. Secondly, God is sovereign in authority. God is sovereign in authority means his rule, his dominion, his governance. Psalm twenty nine ten would say it this way, the Lord sits enthroned as king forever. He's king. King is a metaphor. The reason why he uses the word king is because a king has the sovereign rule over a kingdom, right? And he's using this in reference to God and God Rules in governance, in authority over all of creation. God alone sits enthroned as king forever. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He is sovereign in authority, which means all authority in the earth is merely delegated authority. God reigns supreme over every human institution and over every human authority in the world. It's just merely delegated authority. At the end of the day, God reigns supreme with all authority. First Chronicles 29, 11 through 13 says it this way. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all, not foot under all, but head above all. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. All. It's you. It's you. You have all authority. See, here's what this means for you personally. God is the sovereign ruler of your life. God is the sovereign ruler of your life. Some of you just don't know it yet. Some of you don't know it yet. I remember this for me. I remember being a high school kid. I remember coming to Christ whenever I was in high school. I was 16 years old and I'd grown up in church, and some of you have heard my story, and I thought I knew God, and I thought I understood the gospel, and I didn't. Um, I was lost, and then when I was 16, the light bulb came on for me about who God is, and what Jesus has done for me, and that I needed a Savior, and that I couldn't save myself, and so for the first time, I gave Jesus my life, and I gave him my sin, and I gave him everything, and said, "Um, I want you, I need you to forgive me of my sin, and to be my Savior, and I did that, but then the next step was not only um, asking Jesus to be Savior, but then also asking Jesus to be Lord. Lord means that he is God, that he rules, and that he reigns, and that he is in authority over your life, that he is Savior. He is Savior, and he is Lord. It's Lord, and some of you may have taken the step of Savior today, and some of you haven't taken the step of Lord today, all right? Lord means that Jesus rules over all, that he rules your life. I remember being a senior in high school and God began to stir into me and call me to become a pastor. And that sounded like a bad idea. That was the last thing that I wanted to do. I literally would have rather clean porta johns for a living than be a pastor. I'd, like, I'd grown up in church my whole life and church was not fun. And you don't make much money as a pastor, so I didn't want to do that. And, but I remember God being relentless in his call and his pursuit of me and his chase of, of me. And I, got, I gave God every excuse in the book. I ran from him and I told him why I wasn't good enough or why I didn't want to do it or that he was, looking, he was barking up the wrong tree looking for the wrong person. And then I remember a light bulb came on in my head and I, re, I remember it's almost as if God spoke to me and said, Ethan, my plan is better than your plan." It was like for the first time in my life I had realized that God's way is better than my way, and when you realize that in your life, you willfully give your life to God. It's like, God, I'll do whatever you want me to do, and I'll go I'll go wherever you want me to go. When we baptize people at the bridge, we say two, two things. One, do you do you believe that Jesus has done everything necessary to save you? Nothing else can, not even you. Yes, and then do you promise to go wherever he calls you to go and to do whatever he calls you to do? You know what that is? It's savior and lordship. It's both. It's recognizing that Jesus now commands your life. Jesus now reigns and he rules as authoritative over your life. I'm just curious this morning, have you ever told God, do whatever you want to do with my life? But Ethan, I got a great career. Ethan, I can't give that up. I mean, like, what, what, if, what if God told you this afternoon to change careers? What if God told you to sell your house and to move somewhere else? What, what, if, what if God told you to give up this life and to serve as an international missionary somewhere in an unchurched, unreached place around the globe? Would you do it? Would you do it? Like, do you really believe at the end of the day that God is the sovereign, authoritative leader and ruler of your life? And I feel, your, I feel your angst in that moment. Uh, okay, Ethan, like m- m- selling my house and moving somewhere else, that's like varsity level, all right? I mean, but then like international missionary, are you kidding me? Like that's like for somebody else. That is not for me. Well, in that, moment, in, in that moment, you actually have gotten to a place where you don't trust God. In that moment, it has revealed in your heart that you actually don't believe that God is a good ruler and authoritative voice in your life. If there's anything that is untouchable in your life to God, it reveals that you don't trust him at the end of the day. Until you get to a point in your life where you say everything and all God, then you understand and then you recognize that God is the sovereign ruler of your life. He's the sovereign ruler of your life. God is sovereign. He's sovereign in his ownership. He's also sovereign in his authority. But then thirdly, he's sovereign in power. He's sovereign in power. He's sovereign in his power, which means he has the ability to do whatever he wants to do. Jeremiah would tell us this in Jeremiah 32, 17. Oh Lord God, it is you who have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. Nothing is too hard for you. Absolutely nothing. There isn't anything in the universe that is too hard for God. There isn't any situation or circumstance when God's like, I'm sorry, I'm done. Like, I reached a certain level, and I'm done. You're on your own now. There isn't anything that is too hard for God. God is never in and has never been in a position in which he was out of options, And as Jesus would say to his disciples, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. All things are possible. And I just want to encourage you with this today, because some of you today are in an impossible situation. And did you know that God will allow you to get into impossible situations just so you have to call on the God of the impossible to intervene? This is how sovereign God is. I mean, this like blows my mind. I find myself in situations and circumstances. I find myself, and maybe this happens to you as well, I find myself in a a, a life circumstance, and I'm like, how in the world did I get here? Like, why did I get here? This doesn't make sense. Is God not watching what I am doing for him and how I am living for him and how I am using my life for his kingdom and his glory? Does he not understand? Why in the world would I be in this situation? Why would God treat me like this? And then I'm like, oh, maybe I'll have a wake-up moment. Oh, maybe God allowed me to be here to bring me to a place where I need to get on my knees and ask him to intervene in my situation. Sometimes God will allow you, and may we even say, draw you and lead you into an impossible situation so that he is the only one that can intervene. Because if imagine a world where no one was ever in an impossible situation. I'm, imagine, imagine a world where no one was ever in an impossible situation, and we would all just live our lives and go our, on our way and be like, well, life is pretty good and life is pretty fine. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Are you doing? Yeah, I, don't, I haven't faced any kind of hard circumstances or impossible situations. I'm doing pretty good. How are you doing? And every day was like that. We're just doing fine. You're doing fine. I'm doing fine. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. Everybody's good. We just live our lives that way. No one, no, one, no one would actually fall before God and recognize him when he shows up and when he moves. But what if there was a world in which God allowed people to go into impossible situations, in which they were on their back, in which there was no way out, in which there was nothing that they could do, and there was no one that they could call on except for God? And what if there was a God that showed up in impossible situations and moved and changed things and worked and revealed himself? Then we would say, look at God. Look at him. Perhaps God is allowing you to be in an impossible situation so we could give him just a little bit of glory, which means we can endure a little bit of pain for him, which means when we're walking through pain and it stinks and we don't want to be in it and it doesn't make sense and we can't figure it out, we'll just go ahead and we'll endure the pain because we're going to give glory to God in the midst of our pain, trusting that he is sovereign, that he's going to move and that he is sovereign in his power. And when he chooses and when he wants, he will intervene in my life and I am okay with that. I'm okay because he is sovereign. He's sovereign and he is in control. I'm trying to remember all three. The first one, he is sovereign in his ownership, he's sovereign in his authority, he's sovereign in his power, and then lastly, he is sovereign in his control. He is sovereign in his his control. There has never been one moment in the history of the universe in which God was out of control. There's never been one moment in the history of the universe in which things seemed to be out of control and God didn't know what to do in the situation. God is always in control. I love, I love Colossians 1, verse 15 and 17. It says this. He, speaking of Jesus himself, he is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation, For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth. This is the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And Jesus says, this is my work. This is my creation. And then get this. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. He has this crazy, mysterious we don't understand it, power, in which he somehow is holding the universe together. Hebrews 1.3 would go on and say it this way as well about Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Which means Jesus is so big. He was a Galilean peasant who lived as a human and died. But he wasn't just a Galilean peasant, he was the son of God. Who came and clothed himself in human form he is the son of god and jesus with his by the word of his power he's holding all things together which means just by a a word just by speaking just by saying something he could fundamentally change the fabric of the universe jesus is holding it all together through the word of his power he's holding the universe together I did a little research this week because I've heard um, scientists and astronomers talk about there's some kind of mystic thing out there that's actually holding things together and they can't completely understand it. Uh, I'll read it this way. Please don't fall asleep. Astrophysicists look into the heavens and capture images and data with various scientific instruments. They know that the total mass of all matter is not enough to provide the gravity needed to keep everything in the universe from flying apart. They are left to ponder the question, What is it that is holding the universe together? International teams of astronomers scan stars and galaxies that are unimaginable distances away. Using modern instruments and means of detection, they have detected a mysterious cosmic force and have hypothesized that it may be the answer to the question, and they call it dark matter. And I just want to say, we call it Jesus. (laughs) It is Jesus. They literally can't figure it out. They're like, why? Why isn't everything just going like, shoom, like crazy and shoom over here? Like, why is there like synergy and order? And why is there like unity? And it doesn't make sense because of this this, uh, galaxy and this galaxy. And how does it all all work? And they're like, we just don't know. We think it's dark matter. Which is like... That's basically like them saying, we don't know. But like... (laughs) You know? And the scripture is like, it's Jesus. It's the it's the word of his power. Actually, by the word of his power, he's actually holding all things together. He's the one that's, he, he created it. He's making it work. He's holding it all. It's, it's Jesus. If, if Jesus can hold together the galaxies of the universe, can Jesus hold together your life? I hope, did your mind just go... Poof? like that that's all that's all that, that, that god he's 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 not just he's just not sovereign in control of the universe but he's he's sovereign and in control of my life and the details of my life even when i fail even when i mess up even when i screw up can i get a witness even when i screw it up and i mess it up He still is holding my life together. When I don't deserve it and when I couldn't earn it, Jesus is still holding it all together. And then this is how he concludes. This is the last verse. This is the best verse. This is the most awesome verse of the psalm. Psalm 135, verse 13, it says this. Your name, O Lord, your name, it endures forever. And your renown, which means your fame, your remembrance, O Lord, throughout all ages... He's just at a place where he's like, it's you, God. It's you. It's your name. I got, I got every, I don't have anything else to say. It's your name. It's your renown. I'm using all of my vocabulary. It's, it's you. It's everything. It is about you, and you are just forever in your name, your renown, your fame, your remembrance, your legacy. It exists throughout all generations. It's way, the way he is saying it's all about you. And everything in creation exists for the name and the renown of God. It all exists for Him. And here's how I'll close The only appropriate response to sovereignty is submission and awe. That's the only appropriate response. If God is truly sovereign, if He's truly that big, He's truly that huge. He's doing all this. The only logical response is to submit to him. Submission and awe. Do you know that in order to submit, you have to recognize that you aren't God? Do you know that in order to submit, you have to recognize your rightful place that you are not God? God? See, this is one of the ways that you know that you've truly experienced God. If you live your life in such a way where you're kind of in control, if you live your life in such a way where you kind of have all the power, if you live your life in such a way where you have all the authority and you have all the ownership, it demonstrates that you actually don't know God. You may know some kind of him or idea of him or some figment of him, but you don't actually know God. God. The way that you actually know God and the way that you know that you've truly experienced God is you rest and you enter willingly into a place of submission and you submit your life before him and you just stand in awe. I want to ask you today, have you ever submitted your life to God? Have you ever submitted it to him and just given it to him? It's like, God, it's yours. God, it's yours. If that means here, if that means a different job, if that means a different house, and Dare I say it, if it means international mission somewhere on the other side of the globe, God, it's yours. My life is yours. Submit your life to God. See, this is the good news of Christianity. You need to be in submission. You don't know it yet, but you need to be in submission. The good news of Christianity and the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came and he lived for you. He lived the life that you were Meant to live he died to death that you were condemned to die and he conquered the grave that you could not conquer Jesus came and he took on your sin and your shame and your pain your issues He took it on himself so that he could be your savior and lord He came so that you could recognize you don't have the ability to conquer your sin He came to teach you and to instruct you that you couldn't save yourself and that you needed a god To save you. And that's the good news of the gospel. And we love it and we receive it and we embrace it. And it changes us. It changes See, your fundamental problem is sin and your only hope is a Savior. Your only hope is a Savior today. And Jesus has come to be that Savior for you. And you can submit to him today and give him your life. He'll change you forever. Amen? Amen. Amen. Did you enjoy all? Wasn't that good? Can we praise the Lord? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you today and we just respond in awe to you. Thank you for this journey that you've taken us through as a church. And thank you for allowing us to see you and to know you in the small windows and glimpses of the scriptures. Thank you for opening our eyes today and opening our hearts to be able to see you and know you and respond to you. So, God, we just submit to you. We submit our lives to you. We give our lives to you and Whatever that means for me this afternoon, God, whatever that means for me this week, whatever that means for me five years from now, ten years from now, submit my life to you today, God, and ask for you to to lead and to direct us all. We say this in the name of Jesus. Amen.